Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit this morning to come and put the Word before us, the wonderful Word of God, to challenge us, to draw us to yourself, to help us, to lead us to guidance. Would you be our interpreter this morning? Would you speak to our minds and our hearts and um, deal with issues if we haven't? We just praise you for this opportunity to draw close to you. Our passage under scrutiny this morning is, is um, 2 Peter 1, 12 to 21. I'm not going to read it for a minute, so as long as you've got it. Twelve ninety-five. The new Archbishop Winchelsea declared the appointment of John Langton as Rector of Recolver invalid as the latter held no plurality license from the Pope. John reacted by sending servants to remove tithes from the barns at Recolver, despite protests from Archbishop Winchelsea and his vicar. Thomas of Chartham, the action continued for a further five years. A decree of Archbishop Winchelsea dated Recolver 11th of April, concerned the oblations and arms in a chest near the great stone cross between the church and the chancel of Recolver. Archbishop Winchelsea excommunicated John Langton until the stolen tithes were returned. In the parish there was much civil disturbance. Finally, Langton accepted the archdeaconry of Canterbury instead of Recolver. The vicars of Recolver and Hearn disputed the right to bury the Archbishop's tenants in chief. Archbishop Stafford directed that they were to be buried in the cemetery of the Mother Church. Parishioners at Hearn refused to contribute to the repairs to St Mary's Recolver. Archbishop Stafford threatened them with excommunication and held an inquiry that found in favour of the Mother Church. 1468, Robert Butcher represented St Augustine's Monastery in a pension dispute when a jury of Bleengate 100 met in Hearn. Butcher claimed expenses for 10p for drinks with the jury. The relationship, 1550, the relationship between the churches at Hearn and Recolver had remained poor through the years. A lawsuit commenced between the two parties and St Nicholas Parish. Mr Cobb of Bishopston represented Recolver and by a diligent search of old records won the case. And so it goes on through the history. This is the history of Herne Bay. And it goes on and nearly every passage is a dispute, a falling out, a dispute, a falling out. Nothing about reconciliation, nothing about coming together. This is the history of the parish, sort of parish we live in today. Records of Herne Bay go right back to 500 BC. This morning we're looking at Peter. Um, we're looking at issues in, in, in the church or with, with believers who were forming the church in those days. And, and, and they were problematical. They were problematical. Not half so problematical, really, in a sense, as what we just read. And that, what I read actually goes on and on and on and on and on, right down to recent years. And um, it's good, you know, when believers can come to the point and know 
that what Jesus is doing in his church is a tremendous work. It's being brought on to fulfilment. The process is sometimes difficult, as we've been reading about in 2 Peter, and uh, in 1 Peter as well. And um, a lot of the problems stemming from the early church were the fact that they were having to face false teaching. Now, John mentioned this last week, and I need to recap a little bit on last week before we read in our passage this morning. Um, Generally, where there's a second letter written, like 2 Peter to Timothy, uh, it's, the intention is to expose and deal with issues of apostasy. That means a digression from the fundamental truth that the apostles bring to people. In 1 Peter, it's dealing with people and how they can be helped, and 2 Peter is dealing with that, but in a sense, it's, it's, it has a fundamental issue that it's dealing with and that is a, di- a divergence from the truth, which actually believers can build their lives on and be strengthened and encouraged to be fortified in the Christian faith, not in the issues of trying to support tradition and church, but the issues of God's real church, binding them together to find strength and hope for the future. The apostasy. The early church was vulnerable to false teaching. Jesus said it would be. The apostles took that seriously. They preached into it and gave their lives for it. John said last week, Gnosticism was an elitist diversion from the true biblical foundational truth. It was aimed at the foundation, which is typical of the father of lies, Satan. Nothing new there. That was his first approach, was to cast doubt on what was true. And we have it, and it's still with us today. Just to take a little example, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will say to you that Jesus was a son of God and not the son of God. And there's clearly a subtle difference in that. But it is things like that which we have to be aware of and to be able to stand against, because it's foundational. Because if you just say that Jesus was a son of God, then you begin to say that he could sin. If you say that he was a son of God, then his words are not important, and his life is not that important. But if he's the son of God, then then what he says in his teaching, what he does in his life, makes that so much more important and actual fundamental to the actual progress of the church through the ages. So the false teaching. What was some of that false teaching? It was elitist because it actually set the teacher above what Jesus had said. We know better than him. We know better than the God, this word that God has given to us. And it was elitist. And sometimes you find that today. You find that, still find that today. Someone will sort of find some new truth, and it sounds good, but in actual fact, it doesn't, it doesn't tie up with God as written in the Word in the past and what we have in our New Testament scriptures today. And you're just aware, you just beware, you, you hear it and you, you're just wary of what's being said. In a sense, name it and claim it is a little bit of diversion from fundamental truth, but it's also an issue of truth about it. 
that is possible. But it's not all important. It is possible, but it's not all important. So we have to be careful. We are beware. We need to beware of things like that. The prosperity gospel. You know, God wants us all to be rich with finances and goods and stuff like that. Well, there's a truth in that, but it doesn't happen for everybody. And so facing issues of false teaching are always with us, and they're with us today. And that's apostasy. And so looking at Second Peter, it opens up an area which is probably a little bit different from what we saw in 1 Peter. It's actually standing against false teaching and be able to deal with false teaching and what we've got to rely on. We rely on the truth. So Gnosticism was actually aimed at the foundation, at the foundation, at the foundation. And if the foundation collapses, the building comes down as well. Jesus was not God. Jesus had already come. The resurrection had taken place. The prophets, in context of what we're looking at this morning, what the prophets said was not a clear message. And you can't depend on them. And they're dead now anyway. Peter said, we have the word of the prophets made more sure. That's in our reading this morning. The word of the prophets made more sure. Ultimately, the letter is all about Jesus. Because last week we read, through the knowledge of him, we actually make progress as Christians. Not up here, but knowing him really. How we can translate the truth that we understand into practical implications. All the resources that Peter himself had originated from the impact that Jesus had on his life. And that's what he was bringing to the people. If we fail to allow Jesus to have an impact on our lives, there will be little of use in the kingdom of God. Imagine your death just round the corner and your passion is to see the troubled people being strengthened. That's where Peter was. His death just round the corner and yet he has a passion, he has a drive and that is to encourage the people of God. Encourage people of God in the things of Jesus, what the prophets have said and how Jesus is brought to the fore. For example, what we read last week, for this reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. That's, that's Jesus. If you read through those things, what we read in, in 1 Peter, the issues that actually developed in our life and strengthen us as Christians come through Jesus, the knowledge of him. It's not a cerebral knowledge, this is a practical knowledge, a true practical knowledge of doing the things that Jesus did Reacting as he reacted, acting as he acted, and doing the things that he taught. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, as John brought to our attention last week, his divine power has given us all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The divine power actually only comes through Jesus Christ and knowing him in that practical way. 
Many people will be happy to only exist with the first of these gifts, and that's the life. In fact, many only want that, not even appreciating where it's actually derived from. God has given us everything for life and for godliness. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. God has given us everything for life. God has given to us everything for life. We can't go life through without ignoring where our life comes from. God has given to us everything for life and for godliness through the knowledge of him. That's Jesus Christ. So in a sense what I'm saying it's all about Jesus. If Jesus is not at the heart of what's being written, there's no substance to it. But you see, people is able to manifest that because he knew Jesus practically. It was Jesus that made an impact on his life. It's Jesus that was there to encourage him, like we heard last week, to encourage him not to be concerned about his failures, but to look at what God could do in his life. And after Peter had failed Jesus, Jesus went to the disciples and he says, I can't remember the full statement, but he says, go and get the disciples and Peter. Don't leave him out. Bring him in. I want him. I need him. He's important to me. He hadn't, Jesus hadn't left out Peter because he failed him. No, Jesus' grace works. This is the knowledge of Jesus knowing Jesus had grace to demonstrate in a practical way through the knowledge of him. And so when Peter's talking about his divine power has given us all that we need for life and for godliness, he means it. Not a thing that we need outside of that. Alex brought to us a little uh, video clip of John Piper talking, being satisfied with God. We can find our satisfaction in God, in life, and in godliness. Acts 17, verse 26. Let me read this to you because this is such a great verse. The God who made, this is 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own people have said, we are his offspring. He has given us everything for life. And many people will be satisfied for that. But he's also given us everything for life and for godliness. 
And we would receive that challenge through the church. We receive that challenge daily as we read the Bible, as we read the Scriptures. Jesus in his life was a tangible example and role model of doing it God's way. That's why it was the best example. That was the best concept of knowledge that Peter's talking about. It's a, his divine power has given everything. Everything. I think that sense that talks about being satisfied in God. So we're constantly looking outside of that for something to give us satisfaction and excite us each day. We're probably missing the mark because we can find pure satisfaction in God through Jesus Christ. And Peter's saying it's only through him that we can find that satisfaction and that peace that we need. So Peter, having developed that last week, we need to make the connection. Peter, having described faith as an increasing development of godliness, without which faith is not proved. Without exercising or knowing that divine power through the knowledge of him, faith is not proved. It's very well to say you have a cerebral faith in God and, and, and somehow believe something about him and, and I know something about Jesus, however little it be, if we're ab- not able to prove that with a life of life and godliness, we've probably missed the mark. So Peter's describing faith as an increasing development of godliness without which it is not proved. He's pushing on to the future result. Therefore be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Build on it. It has the idea of progression towards arrival, achievement of the highest order. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever gone into a room of people and you, don't, you feel uncomfortable, you don't feel particularly welcome when you've been there. I've been to churches like that. And um, you, don't feel partic- you don't feel welcome in that environment. I've, I've been to parties and stuff like that and, and business events and I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel welcome. I don't feel at home in that environment. And Peter's talking about the issues that will make us comfortable and feel at home when we meet our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as the kingdom develops, we feel at home in those situations. We feel that we're part of it and we're welcome. It's part of God's great work in our life to actually know when we go into his presence, we'll feel at home there. It won't feel strange to us. It will feel we're there. It will certainly feel as if we've arrived. We'd have left it all behind. And so Peter said, come on, we're moving on. We're moving on. Make your calling and election so sure that you don't feel out of it when you get there. Pushing to the future. Run after God. Be a God chaser. Don't be complacent. Don't bend under the circumstances. God has given everything. A life, 
and for godliness. Peter's driving in the peg. He's drilling for oil, for liquid gold. Sometimes we don't do that. The truth bears repetition. So I will always, where we begin, so I will always remind you of these things. Real truth, real good, workable, practical truth won't be a bore to us if we hear it time and time again. I think we all put our hands up and admit sometimes, yeah, we can sit in these times of of preaching and times of reading and sell, and that we feel bored because we've heard it again. But Peter's still drilling for gold, for oil. He's still looking for liquid gold. And I think sometimes if we go out in our day, when we come into our church environment, when we come into our cell, am I going to drill for gold today? Am I going to drill for oil? Am I going to go deeper? Do I want to put my drill down and get some more? And to learn of Jesus. The whole purpose of what Jesus has done is that God accepts us and into his world and into his purposes. And sometimes we feel we don't belong. Sometimes we don't feel that we belong. So let the word remind us. Let the reminder come time and time and time again. Truth is worth repetition. It's worthy of repetition time and time and time again. Lord, help us not to get complacent with your truth. Help us to know that it's life and health and peace to us. So Peter is compelled to look at the event that made such an impact on his life. So let's read from verse 12 of 2 Peter 1. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, compelled to look at the event that made such an impact on his life. So he directs the believers to it so that the spirit of the occasion can impute confidence in them. Difficult to pick up, really, on an event that have happened to other people sometimes. But Peter saying, to me, it was an experience of a lifetime, and I can't forget it. I know the joy and the glory of that occasion. You ever seen a prayer meeting with that sort of impact? Jesus said, let's go to pray. And they thought they were going up on the mountaintop to pray. And, and as Jesus was praying, his face was changed and his clothes were shining. Peter said, I can't forget that event. The event reconciled the fact of the past, the present reality and the hope which is of the future and in the future together. Let's just take a simple look at the whole picture. There was Moses and Elijah from the past. There was Jesus. He's told them he was going to go to the cross to die. There was Peter, James and John there with him on that mountain. And it was an event to be remembered. An impact that changed their life. Who could bring the things of history together in one powerful moment? Moses and Elijah in the park. And Peter saying, the day is coming, Jesus is going to come. And the things of history are going to be brought together. Everything is going to be worked out by God. People of the past who have died. The present reality, this wonderful experience of being able to look forward. And what's going to happen in the future as a point to strengthen our lives today. Look to the future. Compelling picture to Peter. Not Maybe not so compelling to us. But Peter's the saying that happened. A wonderful moment in history. Looks forward to a wonderful moment in the future when Jesus is going to come again. We've been talking and thinking about the things that need to be done before that time comes and the impact of that time. But you know, that time when Jesus comes is going to be an unrivaled and its impact in the whole of history. You know, the coming of Jesus the first time as a baby, um, it was almost silent in some quarters and uh, almost unassumable in the context of a child and a baby coming. But when he comes again, this is the Lord of glory coming in all his majesty and in all his power. And in that moment, Peter had, and James and John, they had a glimpse of that, how it's going to develop in the future. Jesus was going to be seen to be far greater than he was at that time. In reality, he was a sort of a rejected man and despised for what he said. But it's going to change. The whole thing's going to change. The people that rejected him now will see him and in the future. The wonderful events of that time when Jesus comes, when the dead will be raised... And those who are still alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord together. It points forward. It points forward to the future. So he's saying to these people here, I will remind you, it was a great event for me and what's going to happen in the future will be a great event for you. What God is doing, what God is doing through Jesus 
He's going to bring all things together under one head, under one person. The event reconciled a fact of the past. All the history, the past was fact. You couldn't alter that. It had happened. The present reality, the things we're experiencing at the moment, difficulty, health, trials and difficulties, the present reality. But also the hope of the future. So Peter talks about that as a point of being able to find strength as believers, to know that God has the future in his plans and he's got it all worked out. He knows what he is doing. And when Jesus comes, it will make such an impact. The most incredible time of history. Jesus will take the world stage. He'll be recognised for who he is by all the world to see. No one will be able to dispute anything whatsoever. Jesus crowned with glory, the full glory. You've probably heard, and I have many times, that uh, some people sort of try and explain this transfiguration thing as, um, as a metamorphosis. And actually, that's a sort of word that's used, which is used uh, to describe the caterpillar changing into a butterfly uh, and that sort of thing. But it's actually here what changed that moment. The reality of the inside was now exploded for those guys to see for a brief moment. Let's pray, let's stay, they said. But Jesus had other things in mind. And as they were on that mountain, what were they doing? Talking about his death? That greatest event in history? The redemption of the whole world in Jesus' hands, in his heart and in his mind? to bring salvation in for men and women and boys and girls, to bring hope. To give us help and strength in our lives. The glory of the inside, the reality of the Jesus in his heart and his midst was for a brief moment exploded to be seen in a wonderful way. And it was God who said at that point in time, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. My pleasure rests on him. This man, my son, is so important. He's the one that's going to make a difference in the world in which you live. Changing situations and bringing life to many. In Revelation it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As Peter moves on from that event, that compelling event in his life, to talk about the value of the written word of God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we're talking about, earlier on I was saying about that, um, you know, it's all about Jesus in this book. When Peter's talking about that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation... For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In a sense, that was all about Jesus. It's like a chain being forged together. One part of history to another part of history in order that the glory of Jesus might be seen. 
Computers are wonderful things. And prophecy and things about the future, uh, we can see in the little picture. Um, some people will understand the defragmentation of a disk on a computer. And on your computer, you've got little blocks of information, much like file, file boxes on a filing shelf, if you like. And um, going back to the computer, on this disk, there are little blocks of information all formed on the computer disk. And um, as time goes on, those little blocks of information, they fill up and it leaves only a little space in them, some bigger than others. But um, what happens is that that computer automatically places a little bit of the new file you're putting on, keeps saving on your disk. It can't get it all on that block of information, so it puts another bit there and another bit there, maybe some on three or four, seven, eight blocks down the road as your computer fills up with information. And it's a little bit like the Word of God has so many books, and each book's a file, and when we're talking about the future, and we're talking about trying to put together what God's going to do in the future, it's a little bit like that. God's got a little bit of information in Genesis, maybe a bit more in Isaiah, and um, some in Malachi, and, and, and others in the Gospels, and people who are doing research can't put them all together. And he, he's talking about, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. And God had many prophets, each with a word to say about Jesus, about the future, about how God's going to work things out. And when our blocks get, the blocks on the computer need to be sorted out, it's called defragmentation. And what it does, it gets all those information and puts them in the right place so they're all together. And as history goes on, God's going to defragment his disk about the future and about Jesus and about what's going to come to place. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. When you have a jigsaw puzzle, you want to do it. You're compelled to do it. You're compelled to complete it because you look at the picture on the box and you say, I must do that. And you want to complete it. You want to put it together. And it's a bit like the second coming of Jesus and what's going to happen in the future. We're trying to do the picture and complete it. But any one of us can't do that because it's like a jigsaw puzzle and it's being put together piece at a time so that in God's time, in his way, all these wonderful verses that we see distributed out through the Bible will be brought together and the picture will be complete. Prophecy of Scripture is a little bit like that sometimes. You say, well, I don't understand that in its context and where it is. But God will bring it about. And sometimes people want to be elitist and they say, I understand it all about the future. And we can't understand it. But what they did speak, these men but by the Holy Spirit of God. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. I think Isaiah is a very typical example of a, of a fragmented disc. The truth is there, but it's not altogether. 
but it is just as important. It is just important in the present time and in the future, in reality. So what do we say about what we've read this morning in Peter? The way to becoming confident in God is to meditate on the word of God and learn it. Because Peter has directed us to scripture, the prophecy of scripture. We know from what John wrote in Revelation that the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We'll get it all out in a minute. The spirit of prophecy. So in a sense, Jesus is throughout the scripture. He's there somewhere, even in numbers. He's there. And the way to becoming confident in God is to meditate on the word of God and learn it. When we was doing the purpose-driven life, I think every day of the week or each week, we had to learn a verse of scripture. And that is such good practice. That is such good practice, is to learn verses of scripture off by heart. To take time out with the Holy Spirit. I think that's what Helen was saying this morning in I think the poem was a poem she was reading or verse or something. You know, take time out with the Holy Spirit. You believers are going through difficult times. I want to remind you of the things that I've told you about so many times before. You're facing difficulty, you're facing trouble, you're facing false teachers. You need to get your head into the word of God. You need to get your head into the truth. Psalm 1. It tells us about delighting in the law of God. And I just want to read it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, or we can put in that, the word of God. And on his law, his word, he meditates day and night. And this is what it would be like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. We superimpose that onto the, the early church for the people that Peter was writing to. Prophecy of scripture, scripture, whatever it is, it fortifies the believer. Put truth, the word of God, to the test. Meditate on the word of God. Put the truth of God to the test. So what Peter is saying. Jesus did this in the wilderness when the issues of power and pride reared their ugly heads in front of him. And Jesus said, it is written. It is written is the foundation of prophecy because it comes out of God's truth revealed. It is written, the foundation of prophecy, and yet the false teachers were saying, we have a higher knowledge than the prophets. We've got something more to add to what they say. These are dead men. These are men who don't seem to make sense because it doesn't stand in its own right where they've said it. Put the truth of God to the test. To do with the second coming of Jesus... There were some people who said, where is the sign of your coming? The coming that Peter was talking about. Where is the sign of your coming? It doesn't need a sign, for it is written. 
It doesn't need a sign, for it is written. The future hope is like a jigsaw, as I said, and the picture is compelling. You want to complete it, and God has laid up fragmented nuggets of truth. It is still written, even though we may not understand it all and be able to put it all together. It is still there. We need to know and be sure of what belongs to our peace. We need to know and be sure of what belongs to our peace. And I'm so glad that Alex read that passage this morning about our peace. Believers living in difficult times and troubled by situation, finding it hard to cope with situations, finding it difficult to work out what God wanted them to do, to work out their godliness, if you like. And Peter's saying, you need to know and be sure of what belongs to your peace. In the first Peter, we looked at in chapter 2, verse 11, Peter said, beware of the things which war against your soul. Beware of the things that war against your soul. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, he says, For he is our peace, Jesus is our peace. For 2 Peter is all about Jesus still. He is our peace. In Colossians 3, verse 12, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in your lives. So we need to know and be sure of what belongs to our peace. When we behave badly, we either get troubled or we feel very guilty about things we've done. That is not belonging to our peace. And so when Peter's talking about behavioural problems and he's talking about things we need to do to prove that our faith is real in order that we might be confident in what we're doing and where we are, Peter's saying we need to know and be sure what belongs to our peace. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Sometimes you want to make a decision about something. You just can't come to a decision about it. You're maybe troubled about something, or maybe it doesn't seem right, and you find there's just no peace at that particular time. Maybe sometimes an indication that something is right is letting the peace rule about a particular, particular situation. Have I got peace in that? This is how Peter started his letter. Grace and peace be unto you. Because it was so important to know and be sure of what belongs to our peace. If we're continually avoiding paying our taxes or we're continually doing something really that is not helpful or is doing something that's hurting somewhere else. We won't have peace about it. We'll have a troubled soul and a soul that is warring in one way or another. And so he's saying, be sure of what belongs to your peace. And to finish, true love exposes and releases grace at ground zero. Peter had received that directly from Jesus. And Peter found, thought that he'd failed and he couldn't make any more effort to move on, he found that Jesus was there.
The grace of God was there for Peter. And whatever situation we need to know, if we're troubled because we feel we've blown it, if someone's here this morning, you feel you've blown it. Can I remind you, just like those twin towers came down and all that rubble was on the ground there, underneath all that rubble, underneath all that rubble is the grace of God. And when we think we've messed up completely and we've blown it all, the grace of God will still be there for us. Peter says, be grace and peace. The early message to the church that all this can be found in Jesus. I just finished what I was saying. It's gone past time, but I just felt right at the beginning, Peter starts his letter and he identifies himself as Simon Peter. There are two men there. There are two men. The old, Pete, the old Simon and the new Peter. The new Peter came about because he'd come to see Jesus face to face and to know exactly who he was. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter could see the failings in the old man. He knew what he was in the past. But Jesus had changed him completely. His whole life had been changed around. But in life, we're given names as we were born. And sometimes we hate the name that we have been given. And I just want to say something that I believe there may be someone here this morning that hates one of their names that they've been given. I'm not talking about Helen knowing all about that. I'm talking about they hate the name that they were given for some particular reason and it's had a hold on their lives for, for so long. If that's, if that's you or you feel that, then please come forward for prayer because I think God wants to speak to you in that particular situation. Because I've met people and spoken with them and I, they've said, I, I just hate that name that I was given. And it may have been given, you think of it, that child may be, have been given that name because their parent has got a fantasy about an actor or an actress and, and sort of loves that person and follows that person. Or about a footballer. We know all the names that have been given. In a sense, the names have not been given in a right condition or state of mind. So maybe on that situation, you know, we, we try to do well for our kids sometimes, but sometimes we hate those names we've, be, we've been given. And you just want to be free from that. You want to be rid of that. Not that we're going to change your name or anything like that. But I just believe that God maybe wants to speak to someone about that. And I just leave that open to you. Come and see me or come and see John or Stephen. We'll pray with you to release you from that of the past. Peter was released from his old person his old man, and he was able to speak into the lives of people and fortify them in God's goodness and in his grace. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for your amazing impact on our lives through Jesus. We can only say, Lord Jesus, it's all because of you. 
It's all because of your grace and goodness and your love for us and your understanding with us. And we come to you now and we pray, Lord, that even with things that we find hard to deal with and to accept the application of, that you will just speak to us now through your Holy Spirit to give us hope for the future and to give us confidence in your word. I believe the Lord would say to someone else this morning, the word of God seems dry to me and I just can't seem to set the fire alight. If that's you, come forward for prayer because I think God wants to set the fire alight through the word of God in you today. Because in the scripture it says, the word of God is like fire in the heart. It's a sword and it's like a hammer and so many other things. But this morning, God wants to set the fire alight in your heart to understand and to enjoy reading the word of God. So Lord, would you set the fire alight this morning? Lord Jesus. Amen.